Welcome to the InnovaBuzz podcast, where our job is to help you build visibility, professional credibility, and connection with your ideal client by putting the human at the center of innovative marketing so you can build and strengthen an engaging, enduring relationship with your ideal clients. I'm Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz, and I'm honored that you're here with me. If you haven't yet joined our wonderful Flywheel Nation community, go to flywheelnation.com and join in the podcast conversations. Do subscribe to the show and also leave a review because it helps others find us. Let's get into today's masterclass on this InnovaBuzz podcast. be great if everybody within the company was an innovator it's extremely hard to do because it takes a very different mindset when you're in an organization you're usually held to productivity goals i am being measured on my performance off these specific measurements where now i'm not able to really get my creativity involved or think outside of the box because i'm just focused in on productivity where an innovation team can come in handy is when instead of saying, I want you to come up with some really cool fancy widget that's going to solve or save the day, how does that innovation team transform the culture within an organization to be innovators? How do you facilitate innovation within an organization? If you have a group of maybe five, 10 people that are your champion innovators, they have those keys of how might we innovate more mindfully. And they can then teach that to the organization and spot the issues that the rest of the organization doesn't see and guide them along a path. Welcome back. I hope you've had an awesome week so far. I'm really excited today to have on the InnovaBuzz podcast as my guest, Matt Muller, who has over 20 years of experience in the retail and consumer packaged goods industry. And he's always been fascinated with one question, why? This fascination led him to a role in corporate innovation, helping him to bring structure, clarity, and deep insights to the forefront, spending thousands of hours in the homes of customers and shopping alongside them. Matt has been able to unlock some of the biggest business challenges, creating great change for corporations to nonprofits. Matt is now a columnist for Innovation Leader, a top publishing company in the innovation space. He's helping shed light on how others can innovate within their organisations. And for the last three years, Matt has explored the intersection of innovation and mindfulness to help anyone create great change. His latest book is called The Mindful Innovator. It's due out soon in early 2023 and will provide anyone who wants to create change, the tools they need to make change happen. If you'd like a peek behind the curtain of this show, go to innovabiz.co forward slash flywheel. There, you'll be able to get your very own digital token, which will give you membership of the Flywheel Nation community, where you'll have direct access to all of our amazing podcast guests, just like Matt as well as to me, of course, and you'll have access to a short audio program that walks you through the entire InnovaBuzz podcasting process. We want to give you everything you need to transform your marketing 
and your podcasting into a relationship-focused growth engine. Now, we minted just 30 copies of this digital token, so jump in quick. I'm not sure how many are left, but jump in quick before they're all gone. In our conversation today, Matt talked to me about how we can simplify innovation through mindfulness. We talked about uncovering the real opportunity, and we talked about motivating others through a seatbelt moment. Without further ado, then, let's fly into the hive and get the buzz from Matt Muller. Hi, I'm your host, Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz, and I'm really excited today to welcome to the InnovaBuzz podcast all the way from Sarasota in Florida, the USA, of course, Matt Muller, who's the founder of Mindful, The Mindful Innovator and also author of the book with the same name. Welcome to the Innova Buzz podcast, Matt. It's a great privilege to have you as my guest. Thank you, Jurgen. Thanks for having me. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here speaking with you right now. Now, you speak about innovation, which is kind of the, the umbrella theme of this podcast, even though we branch off into different areas of that. Um, and you also talk a lot, and we were having this chat just before we started recording, about how we often overcomplicate things in regards to innovation. So I'm really keen to explore that some more and learning about some of the stories you have to back that up. And certainly I know the book releases in November, which is probably just about the time we'll be releasing this episode. So it'd be good to start to explore some of the ideas in the book as well. Yes. Now, before we jump into all those topics, what's the impact you're making in the world, Matt? Well, the impact I'm trying to make in the world is to help others really create change to, uh, to make this world a better place. All right. I think we, like I said, overcomplicate innovation, uh, overcomplicate the trying to make change. Uh, and it really doesn't have to be. Uh, so very few change makers are out there in the world out of 8 billion people. How can we make more? I want to make more. Great. Yeah. And change, one of the paradoxical things is a lot of people say, oh, we don't like change and, and it's a threat and we we crave certainty. And on the other hand, of course, we also crave variety. We'd be bored silly if we were stuck in like, what's that um, that film, um, Groundhog, Groundhog Day? Day. It's, yeah, it's, that'd be so boring. So we, at the same time, we crave that variety. And of course, our, our entire environment, our, our body, ourselves, we're changing all the time. So it's, mm -hmm. it's, this paradox, isn't that people were threatened by change on the one hand, but they crave it and and it's happening to them yeah. without their influence anyway. Well, they don't mind other people changing to create an experience for them, <laughs> <laughs> but it's when that change happens internally is where people really struggle. And it, it comes down to that we build these habits, like we do this uh, same thing all the time. And I learned a lot about just kind of like the, the, the brain science behind it, where, you know, when we were cavemen back in the day, we were always looking for change. And when we hmm. saw a change, we went into fight or flight mode, right? It was always a matter of trying to preserve ourselves rather than to prevail. So now we have a much different landscape. We don't have to worry about things jumping out of the bushes out of, out of us, but the same center part of our brain still thinks the same exact way about change that it's a threat. So we, we are very scared of doing that. Hmm. Yes, that's um, that's interesting. That whole um, 
idea of how the brain works and how that um, primeval need for survival, I guess, uh, trumps everything else. And and that's a good thing, obviously, <laughs> depending on the, the environment, but sometimes it gets yeah. in the way, right? Oh, it does. Yeah, change, uh, fear does get in the way when you're looking at change. I always talk about my seatbelt moment uh, where you know I had to deal with change myself, but it was really hard for me to, to, to uh, face it. So the seatbelt moment I'm talking about, it was, at one point I was 360 pounds uh, and I went on a ro roller coaster ride with my son. We waited online for two hours in the hot heat of July um, out in New Jersey. And uh, my wife, like before I got on the line, she's like, hey, I think you not, might not feel on this ride. You probably should check. I was like, no, you know what? I'm going to be fine. It's no issue. I mean, I've never had an issue before. If I was trying to get a table at a restaurant, I couldn't sit in the booth, no problem. I got, I got a regular table. I was on a plane, no problem. They gave me a seatbelt extender. So, like, you know what? This is not going to be an issue. I wait two hours. I get to the top of the ride, and the kid um, puts us into the seats and tries to lock us in. Son, no problem. Locked in. He comes up to me, and the thing would not secure. It wouldn't click. So he calls over a couple of his friends, and uh, next thing you know, I have three teenagers bouncing on my stomach like a trampoline <laughs> trying to get this ride to just go. And unfortunately, after about probably 30 seconds to a minute, which felt like an hour, they said, I'm, I'm sorry, um, you can't get on the ride. You won't fit. So me and my son had to walk off the ride. And that moment there was a moment where I realized I needed change. And that's like my seatbelt moment. But it's something that I knew. I knew I had to change, right? I knew I was overweight. I had to do something about this, but I never did. And it comes down to that moment there. I had no choice but to accept the fact that I had to do something. I had to admit that I needed to change. And I had this visceral, emotional feeling of just disappointment um, and just being upset with myself that I wasn't uh, making the change. So that was the point where I said, you know what, I need to do something. And I started telling hmm. people right away, you know what, I'm going to do it. I'm going to change uh, myself now because of this moment. I even had my wife take a picture of me in that seat just so um, I could remember that moment. And that's when I was on that weight loss journey just to, to create that change because I knew I needed to do it. And a lot of times with business as well, it's like you have to try and create that seatbelt moment within innovation, within an organization. How can you get a company to get that visceral, emotional feeling that, you know what, mm. we need to do something about this. Otherwise, our business is at stake. And that's kind of like, you know, really where you are able to kind of influence change when you have that emotion attached to yeah, it. Yeah, that connection. And it's, a, it's um, a motivational driver, isn't it? So in your case, it was... It was that feeling of having disappointed your son, I guess, of not being able to go on the ride with him. Yeah, absolutely. He, he was a little mad at me for not being on a line for two hours for no reason. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, now, your business and the book is called The Mindful Innovator. So what what's behind that title? So the mindful part, obviously, is the the thing that is unique and unusual. What's behind that? Yeah, I've been innovating for over a decade now uh, in a couple of organizations. And when I was innovating, when I first got the call to do it, I really had no clue what I was doing. I don't have an MBA. I don't have a background in innovation. I was just, all right, let's 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 innovate. And when I first got the, the first innovation, I was so excited about it. I went home. I dreamt about all the things I would do. Oh, we need to add robots to this. We need to put lasers somewhere, AI. AR, what else other acronym can I add here? It's just all these different things that we could be with tech forward. And I started reading a ton of content on innovation, different books, Blue Ocean Strategy, Start With Why. I just started reading about everything, consuming anything I could find. And I found myself making decisions within uh, the innovation world 
for just the, for the sake of making decisions, right? Moving forward to move forward. It was like fail fast, innovate or, or die, disrupt or be disrupted. I felt like I just had to keep on making decisions. And what I realized was that I was getting overwhelmed and I was overcomplicating it. And it reminded me a lot like when I got my cell phone, my first smartphone, where I was just overwhelmed by the text notifications, the Facebook posts, uh, pokes, and then also, of course, the cat videos on YouTube. I was just inundated <laughs> with content and I couldn't think about anything else. I was not, never present in the moment. I was always on my phone. You look at that overwhelming feeling. A lot of people correct that by using meditation by being mindful to bring back your awareness to the present moment. So since the feelings were the same with my innovation practice, as well as it was for my smartphone, well, why wouldn't meditation and mindfulness work for innovation? So I started to apply the same exact techniques I would use to break away free from my smartphone and use that within innovation. So the mindful innovator is really all about bringing awareness back into the decisions that we make and really observing what's happening in the world. And not just, you know, jumping to conclusions or moving forward just for the sake of moving forward. Hmm. Hmm. So it's uh, a lot of that then is being open to paying attention to what's happening externally, listening to people, that kind of thing, right? Oh, yeah, that, that's imperative. You have to make sure that you're looking at that external hmm. stimuli and get outside of your own mind. A lot of times we, we cr create our own problems, right? It's uh, we might think that animals want you know better water like bottled water because the uh, tap water has chlorine and minerals in it and i might think that's the problem and in fact one gentleman did think that back in the 90s where that was a huge issue um for the, the pet industry so we started to create a bottle of water for for animals and it, it did amazing when he first uh tested it, it was like fifteen thousand uh dogs and cats he would test with and every single one of them loved it i think he had like a 95 percent acceptance rate on this so he's like you know what i think i have a great idea so he pulled about 100 people, asked questions about, you know, hey, you know, would this be something that you would think about purchasing? A lot of people said, yeah, sure, I would think about it. So he launched this product in stores all across the United States. Uh, and it thought it was going to be really successful, but he didn't really sell any product. It went out of business fairly quickly. And the reason why was because that human or dogs, they don't have wallets. They can't purchase this <laughs> bottle of water. So, yes, you got 95% acceptance rate on animals, but they're not the consumer. So was it really the human, the, the pet owner's problem that mm. their dog or their, or their cat wasn't having water that was from a bottle? Well, a lot of dog owners said, well, you know what? It's kind of cool, but I'm not going to do it because my dog drinks from the toilet and I'm fine with that. So <laughs> everyone right. was yeah. fine with, with their animals drinking their, their current tap water or toilet water and they didn't need bottled water. But this mm. man thought this was an absolute like, dead center great idea. He was trying to solve his own problem instead of looking at externally and talking to people. If you talk to veterinarians, they said, you know what? This isn't really necessary. You spoke to yeah. pet owners. Yeah, you know, what? I'm, I'm not a big, not a big deal. But he had it in his own mind that this was a problem that he needed to solve. And for, you know, 12 months plus, he's working on this product that's really not going to help anybody. Hmm. Yeah, that, that's a great example. And I had to laugh there because I know um, our cats have their, their favorite source of water is the dirty water in... <laughs> Um, in, in the like if it rains heavily here and we've got some bowls or some uh, utensils outside that are dusty and dirty and so they get filled up and of course all the dust and dirt's at the bottom it's <laughs> rainwater but which is probably pretty good but all the dust and dirt's yeah. in there so that's their favorite drinking source and, and I think well <laughs> yeah the, the bottle they don't need purified bottle like yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> probably wouldn't wouldn't touch it yeah, so some of that 
I think some of that in the pet industry is an interesting one because a lot of the appeal there is not for the wellness of the animals themselves, but for the emotion that the, the human pet owner has that's yeah. like, I spend money on my pets, aren't I a good good pet owner? Aren't I being kind to my pet? Well, the animal probably doesn't care. Yeah, absolutely. It's that irrational feeling that you that you think you're doing a good thing. Maybe today it'll work and the 90s didn't work. Uh, but yeah. I spoke to some consumers about this after, uh, uh, pet, pet owners about this after I, I found out this case study. And it found out there was that emotional connection to their animals of wanting to do something uh, that made sure that mm. their animals were getting, you know, uh, the right food, the right water, um, and the right amount of it. So it, it really came down to a lot of consumers saying, well, you know what? No, bottled water I don't need. I'm fine with tap water. But making sure that my animal always has water when I'm not home, I might work for eight, mm. 10 hours a day. Well, what if they drink all the water? What if they have no food? So it was a matter of maybe it's a water fountain that you could have created that would have been really solving the problem for pet owners that would have helped, you know, ease their minds while they weren't able to take yeah. care of their pets. Hmm. Yeah, so it's it's really about identifying what what's the real problem rather than and also I guess talk to us a little bit about how you approach that because rather than approaching it from, hey, I've got this great idea about bottled water for pets, approaching it from what if I'm going to work with pet owners, what are some of the things that bother them? What are the issues that they have that are unresolved and that they that frustrate them and that they need help with? Yeah, when you're trying to identify that problem, it's uh, the most important thing to do is listen, right? And a lot of times I think we don't we don't do that. So if you were talking to pet owners, uh, you have to go to the you, you ha first. You have to talk to consumers. You have to talk to the people that you're going to, to want to purchase this product or, or service. And when you're doing that, you have to come ready to listen, to be a protege, and they be the mentor, right? So they know everything. It's, it's an ethnographic research where you go talk to pet owners in their homes, talk to them within in the stores, and really just ask them the questions. What are the things that keep you up at night? What are you scared about when, uh, with your pet? What makes you prideful about being a pet owner? And just asking very broad questions to them and listening and just sit there and listen. Don't think about your next question. Don't think about you know how you're going to respond or, or, or how it, you're gonna internalize their thoughts and say, yeah, me too. No, no one cares, right? It's a matter of just listening to the, that consumer, listening to that person in front of you and asking an intelligent question afterwards. And don't worry about the silence after the question if you haven't thought about it yet. Just make sure you fully understand it and if you're listening to the consumer, if you do that, you're going to be a heads ahead above a lot of people today. Hmm. And and one of the things that I like to point out in that listening is to suspend judgment completely. And I guess in the context of innovation, that means mm -hmm. if you get the seed of an issue pop up, don't try and solve it there and then. <laughs> Just keep digging into it. Put a pin in it and keep moving. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's right. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And like with uh, in this case here of, of this uh, bottled water for pets, you might think it's an issue for, for animals um, to drink water from the tap. Forget about what you think. Hmm. Don't ask that question directly to a consumer. You know, really find out what they think about the whole situation with their pet rather than focusing or targeting in on your question, because people want to be agreeable. So if I ask you, Jürgen, you know, 
how do you feel about your your animals with, uh, drinking tap water with all those chemicals in there with the chlorine mm-hmm. and minerals that aren't good for your for your cat and dog? And how does that make you feel? So I'm already leading you to a response yeah, yeah. that you're going to probably say, you know, I don't like that idea of having my, my animal having chlorine and minerals in their water. Where if I just ask the question more broadly, you know, more mindfully and listen, um, you're going to get much better answers. It might not fit your your hypothesis and that's co- totally okay. That's great. Uh, you're mm. going to actually get to a real problem. Mm. That's right. So that that's the, the mindful part is really um, being in the moment with that person, listening and not not um, leading or not prejudging. Yeah. And one of the ways that I kind of like do that when I'm talking to consumers or to stakeholders within a company, um, I use what, what exactly what I use in my meditation practice, right? So when I'm meditating, your mind starts to wander. Probably, you know, 40 times every single minute, your mind is going off to like, you know, oh, what's for dinner tonight? Or what do I got to do after after this meditation? And you have to keep on saying to yourself, begin again and you just go back into the meditation practice right and you, you clear your mind and get back to it but you might say begin again 40 50 times a minute or whatever it is when you're talking to consumers you're gonna have to do the same thing but instead of begin again it's just listen again so as soon as you get off that path say use that same meditation practice of listen again listen again and when you do that you start to train your mind to truly listen actively listen to your consumer to the person that's in front of you uh, rather than starting to think about that next question. So it does help you bring that that level of awareness and mindfulness um, to a conversation. Hmm. Yeah, I love it. So listening is is really key. And we've had quite a number of folks on the podcast talking about listening more in the context of leadership. So it's interesting to to visit it in the context of innovation and how can we simplify innovation and how can we make sure we're actually innovating with something that's meaningful yeah and that's that's i think where we really miss the mark a lot of times that we're not innovating with purpose Uh, Mm. and and if we just listen um, and then also have the right framework of how we might solve a problem uh, and also come overcome the barriers that you have within an organization um, and getting people to accept the idea as a great solve if you think mindfully about all those components, uh, you'll have a much greater rate of success on innovation. Hmm. Speaking of organizations, how can we, uh, how can an organization get to this point of mindful innovation as opposed to, I mean, a lot of organizations that, and certainly that I've experienced have they say, okay, we're going to be an innovative organization. So we'll, we'll have this little team or this department of innovation. And, and that's the worst thing I think that can happen because that's very much what you said right at the yeah. beginning is where we overcomplicate it, where somebody then says, I've got to innovate, I've got to do something fancy uh, without any context, without, well, what's the problem that we're solving and so on. Um, yeah. How can an organization turn that around or, or if they're just starting out and saying, well, we want, we want to kind of be more innovative, be more cutting edge, how can they take this path of mindful innovation as opposed to, to that other one? Yeah, I think it's really interesting. Like when you talk about the innovation team coming in and having to come up with something really fancy, something new, cutting edge. And that's how a lot of organizations approach their innovation teams. But you have to think about, it, is that the right way to do it? And Yes, it would be great if everybody within the company was an innovator 
that would be mm. totally awesome. It's extremely hard to do because it takes a very different mindset. When you're in an organization, you're usually held to productivity goals. So I have to hit certain sales goals. I might have to hit certain marketing goals, whatever it may be. But I am being measured on my performance of these specific, specific measurements where now I'm not able to really get my creativity involved or think outside of the box because I'm just focused in on productivity. So where an innovation team can come in handy is when you use them properly. And instead of saying, hey, I want you to come up with some really cool, fancy widget that's going to solve or save the day. How does that innovation team transform the culture within the organization to be innovators? Make them your champions to innovation. So this way, now, instead of trying to output product, you're outputting a mindset. So as you bring in a marketing team, a sales team, uh, what are the things that you want to teach them on how they can be more innovative? How do you facilitate innovation within an organization? So this way, now, if you have a group of whatever it may be, five, 10 people that are your champion innovators, they have those keys of how might we innovate more mindfully. And they can then teach that to the organization and spot the issues that, that the, uh, the rest of the organization doesn't see and guide them along the path. And really, that's, that's the key of an, of an innovation team is to facilitate and be those change agents within the organization. That's where I've seen mm. the best successes uh, come from organizations. Mm. Yeah, I love that. So it's rather than they're the ones coming up with all the ideas, they're the, the resource for the organization to actually change its values, its culture, its behaviors to mm -hmm. be more innovative. And, and they can then be called upon to, well, how do we, how do we solve this problem? How do we bring innovation to play in, in these things that we need to be doing daily? Yeah, absolutely. That's definitely the, the way to go. Um, and also just even think about it as to put yourself within the, maybe like, let's, let's call it the marketing team and put, put yourself in their position. If I come up with an innovative solve as an innovation team on, on ways to better market to consumers and to reach them in their homes, and I go to the marketing uh, director and say, hey, here you go. Here's a great concept that we've developed for you that you need to go out and execute now. How are they going to take that? Are they going to be happy yeah. that you are changing their world, doing making yeah, yeah. Them do everything differently? It's going you to go be... You, do, you go and do your job and let me worry about mine because exactly. I know what I'm so, doing. <laughs> how are you going to get people to, to launch your concepts if you don't get them to accept it? And if you bring it to them and force feed them innovation, they're never going to, to be able to, to help you. They're not going to launch it because they're going to find the hmm. flaws within the innovation. But if you bring them along for the ride and you bring them in early and say, oh, hey, yeah. we want to help you. Uh, what are some of the big problems that you're seeing within your marketing department? Oh, you're not reaching consumers in their home. Okay. How might we approach it a little bit differently? Let's put some stimulus out there and see well, how are people doing within other organizations and in, in our competition? How are they doing it? And trying to find those key insights and help that marketing team come up with the concept. They're going to be 10 times more likely to support it. I don't know about you, but I really like my ideas. I'm sure you're going to like your ideas. We all like our ideas. Yeah. It's just you know, common, a common thing. So when all of a sudden it's my idea that I, I'm pushing, I'm going to work 10 times harder for it when it goes into a launch phase and getting it out there. Hmm. Yes, that's a, a really important point. And it reminded me, I mean, one of the, the key moments, I guess, in my life in my career that just shaped my whole attitude to innovation was when I was working for ACFA, the film manufacturer, at the time when the digital camera launched and, and I experienced firsthand inside that organization the um, 
kind of at first the the panic, then the um, burying the head in the sand period, and then the the trauma. Which um, yeah, I I was one of the rats that left the sinking ship before the trauma uh, <laughs> kicked in because I recognised we were it was going down. Um, the I was one of the few people in the organisation in those early days, and I was just a young young graduate researcher there um, so I didn't have the clout but I was one of the few people that said hey this is something we should pay attention to and and there's a potential that this may very quickly develop into something serious in those early days uh, how can people in the organization that that are in a position where they don't necessarily have a lot of clout um, where people don't necessarily listen to them because they're sort of way down the pecking order. Mm. How can they be heard if, like in that example, there was there was an external change happening and people were not taking it seriously enough, in my opinion, or if somebody has a wonderful idea because they're at the coalface, they're working at the coalface, they've experienced problems, they've seen there's a real need for a solution to this problem and I've got an idea how we might address that. How can they bring the organisation in to listen to them and, and start to talk about the idea so that it actually gets some momentum and moves forward? That's a loaded question, Jürgen. <laughs> it really depends, right? It depends on the organisation, the culture that's there. Some cultures, if you speak out of turn and, and, and say, hey, this is a problem that I'm seeing, you might get fired. I mean, it really could be that case. So it's really a matter of first knowing your organization and what type of culture you have. But no matter what, it's it's really a matter of pro, really it's a matter of approaching it properly, right? So you don't want to go to the executive leadership ship to uh, leadership and say, "Hey, you have a big problem, right? We're <laughs> we're getting uh, disrupted by the digital cameras, and and we're going to have a like, we're not going to have film industry pretty soon." If you approach it that way, you're probably not going to get very far. But if you approach it in questions, asking for their guidance, their advice, hey, I noticed that a lot of people are buying digital cameras. You know, what is our, what are we doing to uh, to solve keeping consumers uh, buying film, or what are we considering doing outside of film to keep to balance our business out? And if you hmm. approach it by asking questions rather than just giving your concerns uh, and working with people to create solves that helps you start to get kind of see those thoughts of how might we change right so it's it's really mm -hmm. comes down to asking the right questions to the right people to to really start to seed the opportunities to change mm. yeah it's that's fascinating i mean i can tell you what the response was to some of those questions that, that <laughs> were certainly asked i certainly asked them and there were a couple of other people that asked them and and the response was pretty much uh we'll just Keep making better films. Oh, yeah. Dig yeah digital is, is never going to be any good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it is tough. Now, this, bear in uh, mind, this this was in the very early days when mm -hmm. when what was out there was not very good. But those of us that had seen other things develop and the PC was just starting to develop at that time. So that there, mm -hmm. there were a lot of signs there that the pace of development of some of these new technologies was going to be so much faster than anything we'd ever seen before mm. and there was a pretty strong chance that this could develop very quickly into something that was competition to film even though 
in those early days, it, it definitely was not like that. Yeah. And that's what pe it, people saw that and said, oh, you know, got nothing to worry about. Yeah. yeah early on, it's, it's hard to identify those problems just, just at the mm. right time. Um, but one thing that has worked for me in the past has been to uh, try to create that seatbelt moment, right? Where if I were to figure out how do I get the executive leadership team or the right people within the organization, whoever they are, to realize mm. it's a problem. How do I get them to have an emotional response to the problem that we're trying to solve or that you see, right? So if you saw that that was being a real problem, can I go and talk to 12, 20 consumers and ask them one question on camera, asking them, you know, will you ever use film again now that you have a digital camera? And if you have 20 people saying, no, never again, no, never again, no, no way, mm -hmm. I would, why, why would I use that? And you start to get those, those, those videos. Videos are very powerful uh, and they speak you know, volumes to, to executive leadership teams. It puts them in the homes of consumers. It puts them um, in, the, in the seat of a consumer. And that's when sometimes it's like, oh, oh shit, we have a problem. I need to do something about this. Uh, it's, it's kind of that moment when you get that emotional response. And if you can get them mm -hmm. to say, oh shit, and then tell them we need to do something about this. Now you know you have broke ground and you can move forward and actually try to innovate towards something else. But it comes down to really creating that seatbelt moment. And, uh, everyone's going to be a little bit different on how you create it, depending on the situation. But just think about how can I get an emotional response out of my team to, to realize that, yeah, we do have a problem. We need to do something about it. Hmm. Yeah, that's fascinating. What's the role of communication in that? I mean, we talked a lot about listening and suspending judgment there, but, but what you're talking about here is is communicating with the team in a way that you build that emotional connection to not just the person that's communicating, but to the message itself, to the to the environment or situation that that you're presenting. Communication is absolutely key. I mean, there's tons and tons of books about the topic. Uh, everyone talks about it within leadership. Communication without it, I mean, yeah, we're definitely screwed. We wouldn't be able to innovate. In fact, one story in my book I talk about with a whole chapter dedicated to communication is that one word can potentially change a whole situation. In fact, one word actually killed about 300,000 people. And that word is makasatsu. Uh, back in World War II in Japan, um, we wrote up the Potsdam Declaration, right? The Allies did. And we said that we need to end this war today uh, or there's going to be clear and utter destruction. Japan took that note and um, went with uh, six people within the cabinet to really say, okay, what are we gonna do about this? They were tied three, three in the cabinet saying, yes, we're going to, we're going to surrender or no, we're going to keep on going. And they needed to go to the prime minister to say, Hey, what do you think to break that tie? A, someone from the press actually reached out to the, uh, to one of the people within the cabinet and said, what is your response to the, uh, to the Potsdam declaration? He responded, makasatsu. Makasatsu can mean two different things. It could mean that I ignore and contempt or no comment. Those are the two different things can be very different. So hmm. as it was translated back to the U S it was that I ignore in contempt, meaning go screw yourself. Yeah. I don't care, which means we dropped the bomb uh, on Japan, killing 300,000 people. If we would have learned what the real interpretation to it was, which was actually he meant to say no comment, there might have been a completely different outcome. So communication is absolutely key. <laughs> I mean, our situations aren't going to be as dire as that, but we need to think about how are we communicating? How often are we communicating? And exactly, you know, what are we saying? So it really is uh, an imperative to innovation is making sure that we are communicating properly uh, to our 
to our consumers and also to our executive team and to everyone within the organization that, that needs to help create that change. Hmm. Yeah, that's a very powerful story and uh, certainly um, highlights that choose your words carefully, right? It's, yes, definitely. Yeah. Hmm. All right. Well, this is fascinating and um, I'm, I'm really looking forward to getting my hands on the book, which will be probably around the time this episode launches. So we can possibly have a follow up at some stage. But it's a good point now, I think, to move on to the buzz, which is our innovation round. And it's the same five questions that I ask of every guest. And the idea being you'll give us insightful answers and inspire some action from the listener today. Let's do it. Excellent. Well, the number one question is, what's the number one thing anyone needs to do to be more innovative? I don't know anything about innovation. I'm not sure. <laughs> be aware. <laughs> Really just pick up your awareness and make sure that you're looking at what's happening outside in the world and also really think about the decisions that you're making and why you're making those decisions. If you bring awareness to everything that you do along that path of innovation, you're going to find yourself being a lot more successful. Hmm. Yeah, I love it. And, and we've talked quite a lot about listening and being mindful around innovation. So that, that certainly encapsulates that awareness. One of, the, one of my favorite sayings, and I guess I grew up with this, with my parents as well and it doesn't work it's a, it's a kind of a german rhyming two sentence thing uh it essentially says that anyone that's not resourceful is lost mm. um, but it works much better in in the german <laughs> thing but but the sense. the point the point is we we kind of observe stuff that's happening sometimes it's the animal world sometimes it's young kids sometimes it's you observe somebody else doing it and you see them do something that's unusual. And we basically then make that comment, which it, to me is, is a sign that we're observing other people or animals or kids um, doing something unusual and, and paying attention to that. That's a little bit of innovation there because oh, they've, yeah. they've wanted to achieve something. Uh, often it's in the context of, what they the normal thing didn't work so then they do it differently you need stimulus you need stimulus to, to spark that innovation and absolutely observations of, of what other people are doing and, and things mm. that are happening around you are so important in fact a lot of times today we don't really aren't able to do it too well because of these phones <laughs> because every single moment that we have that we're not you know doing something that's focused we're on the phone and we're not observing so how do you mm. how do you make sure that you are being aware of your of your environment to take in that stimulus mm. excellent all right, now what's the best thing you've done to develop new ideas? It's gotta be meditation. I'm gonna stick with my theme. Uh, yeah. <laughs> every day I meditate in the morning and not long, five, 10 minutes, and in the evening, five, 10 minutes. And what I'm trying to do is really clear my mind and in the morning I'm trying to set up my day. What do I really need to do today to be more innovative? You know, What do I need to accomplish? Uh, what are the big rocks that I need to move? And at the end of the day, I reflect on how I did in the day, right? And did, mm. Was today a success? Was I more innovative today? And how might I do a better job tomorrow? And able to kind of just find that moment just to kind of reflect and think about it allows me to really assess my day and then move to progress the next day. And just having those med meditative moments, those mindful moments, really just sets the time that I need personally to be able to do that. And a lot of times we just, you know, we finish up work and we go hang out with the family, we have dinner, we go watch Netflix, and that's it. We don't think about you know the next day until we get there. Mm. But if we 
start to be mindful about it and say, you know, how, how do we really do? We're able to do a lot better the next day. Mm, yeah. Great. I love it. And um, I think whatever practice we, we do to kind of get away from the routine and just let the mind wander and let things bubble up from the unconscious can be so valuable. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, my best, my best idea is probably come in the shower, right? Where it's like, you're not really <laughs> thinking about anything. You're just kind of showering and all of a sudden it's like, oh, well, you know what? This would be a really good idea for a book or whatever it may be. Or this might be a better uh, better way to solve a problem that I'm having with my landscaping, whatever it is. The <laughs> Some weird ideas just come to me in the shower. So it's just definitely when you're, your subconscious mind is working. Yeah. Excellent. All right. Do you have a favorite resource you use most often? Yeah, I learned from one of my mentors um, that I should keep a small book with me at all times. Hmm. And that small book should take all of your notes. Um, and not all of your notes. I should say all the notes that really mean something. So this book right here, this is my <laughs> best tool. It's a small little book, fits in my pocket, goes with me everywhere. But on these pages, there's different insights that I pick up along the way. So it might be something somebody said. It might be a podcast that I listened to. It might be just something that came to my mind. But it, I put everything in here. And my first page mm. is, you know, my purpose. That's the first thing that I see every single time I open up this book, what I want to do, right? I want to help others create change. And I want to do that by writing, speaking, and consulting. Help others really create that change. And each page here really comes down to what are the, the big things that I have learned over the course of time? And in fact, this is kind of where the mindful innovator of the book came from, is from one of these. So it's just mm. taking the okay. thoughts over yeah. three years and putting it together. Yeah, love it. Yeah, I love the little little books. And I think getting thoughts and ideas out of our heads and in some form where we can recall them is so valuable. I've started using my smartwatch now because a lot of the times you talked about the shower, uh, mm. a lot of my ideas I'm on my bike, um, out riding oh, yeah. on my own. And, and that's when things bubble up. So um, I don't want to necessarily carry a notebook there. So I've trained myself to I've trained myself to voice activate the recorder on my phone and and just record things and then I'd um, put them into a into a notebook later on. So hmm. that's a great idea. I probably should do that for the shower because yeah, notebooks and showers don't work either. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, there there is somebody really innovative actually. Um, and there's probably a, quite a few of these around um, writing easels or utensils in the um, shower that are shower proof. Yeah, the waterproof yeah. one. Yeah, and it was, it was exactly for that because so many people have ideas in the shower and say, <laughs> well, you, know, you can't write it down. Well, here's something you can write it down on. Well, I'm going to go on Amazon right after this. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. All right. Now, what's the best way to keep a client on track? Communication. Right. I mean, it comes down to that you need to communicate and, and sometimes even over communicate. Uh, a lot of times I've noticed that anything that innovation fails, it's because we did not communicate enough. We may have started a project with a key stakeholder and then, you know, nine months to, you know, a year, you come back to that key stakeholder and say, here you go. This is what we talked about. Hmm. And they're going to say, well, what is this? Like, I don't, I don't know yeah. what you're talking about. I thought we were going to do that. So. If we communicate and make sure that we have the right cadence of communication with our key stakeholders, with uh, our, our consumers, we're able to make sure that we get the constant feedback, they know what's coming, uh, and making sure that we stay aligned the whole way through. So when I see innovation really successful is when you really plan purposefully the communication of when you're going to communicate, 
and what you're going to communicate and doing it at, on, a, on the proper frequency. So it really does come down to that communication piece that makes innovation so hmm. successful. Yeah, yeah. And I think um, purposeful um, and frequency setting it out regularly is uh, are a couple of things there, I think, to highlight. Yeah. And one of the other things, too, with communication that I do is if we're going into an innovation session, there's usually going to be a moment where people are really energized. And those moments, uh, you want to bottle them up and keep them, right? Because there's so much energy happening. Things are looking up. But guess what's going to happen in a week or two? They're going to get back to real life and yeah. they're going to have problems and they're going to forget about the session. They're going to forget about all the work. So it's a matter of encapsulating that moment and remembering it in a way that keeps them at mo the momentum going. So it may have been something that was really inspiring and exciting. I'm going to capture that either through video or through a quote. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to bring that, that quote or that picture or that video um, back to the forefront in a month or three months down the road to keep that energy going. Hey, guys, remember when this happened and how excited we were? We're getting a little bit closer. It's communicating those moments of joy along the way to keep that momentum going. So think purposely about how you're going to communicate those moments as well. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a really important point, I think. And it brings brings that emotional connection that you talked about earlier in, in the stories that you shared. Mm -hmm. All right, now, finally, in the buzz, what's the number one thing anyone can do to differentiate themselves? To differentiate yourselves, it, it can be very difficult. Um, and you can go a lot of different routes here. But I think if you think about this one thing, just genuine, genuinely care about solving other people's problems, you're going to stand out. So many people go in with a motive, right? There's an ulterior motive to pretty much every conversation. Networking has a dirty name to it, but just because of the fact that, ah, you're probably trying to get something from me. And, yeah. But if you go into every conversation, every meeting, every uh, interaction with that genuine care of, how can I help you? you're going to, to really come out on top and you're going to be able to differentiate, differentiate yourself. And opportunities are going to come to you rather than you having to go find those opportunities. So don't look for anything when you're trying to help mm -hmm. someone solve a problem. Just just generally help them. You know, be, be thoughtful about it and everything else will follow. Yeah, yeah, I love it. And if we go into those kind of conversations without any expectations, it's my experience is it actually works a lot better. Oh yes, absolutely. Because as soon as you, they know that what your expect or what your expectations or what your motive is, the guard is up. They're going to be defending rather yeah. than trying to help you and have that conversation. Hmm. Wonderful. All right. Well, thanks, Matt. This has been wonderful. Now, where can people find out more about the work you do and sign up to get a hold of the book, and maybe even reach out and say thanks for what you've shared today? Yeah, I would love for everyone to reach out and uh, if you have any questions or, or just want to see some of the work that I'm doing. Uh, you can reach me on LinkedIn at Matt Muller Innovation. Uh, you can find me there pretty easily. Or you can actually pre-order the book today on Indiegogo. Uh, just look up Matt Muller, The Mindful Innovator, um, and you can find it there. And I'll put the link to within this uh, underneath this podcast when it comes out on, on the social media platforms. Um, and check me out on innovationleader.com where I write a column there about bi-monthly. So a lot of innovation and mindfulness tips right there for all of you innovation folks that are looking to create great change in this world. Excellent. And we'll include those links in the show notes as well. And if the if the book um, when it when it is launched, we'll add that link back into the in either through the comments or maybe it'll be launched by the time we publish. Hopefully. Thank you so mm. much, Jurgen, for your time today and for uh, introducing me to your audience. This has been awesome. Yeah.
What um, what action would you like our listener to take away from our conversation today, Matt? I would like for everyone just to be a little bit more mindful, a little bit more aware of the things that we're doing and the things that are happening around us. Because I believe that every person in this world is capable of creating great change. There's 8 million people in this world. But how many of us are actually creating great change? So a lot of things, the thing is, is a lot of people fear change, right? They, they're fearful of being judged for creating change. But you can do it. You absolutely can if we just think a little bit more mindfully about it and, and small baby steps. So I hope that everyone learns a little bit something from how to innovate mindfully and starts to make those steps to create change. Hmm. Yes. And uh, like I said at the beginning, the, the, uh, the paradox is that, that we all embrace change in many ways. And even if it's something little like um, every morning we get up and brush our teeth. Now that's a habit and that's probably a regular habit and it's probably a routine that, that doesn't need to change. But there is a change that takes place, right? It's, we go from like yeah. dirty teeth to clean teeth, hopefully, <laughs> if we do it well, <laughs> um, shower and so on. So we we want that change and, and we like to wear different clothes and we like to experience different things. So yeah, just being mindful, I think is a really good call to action. Yeah. And one final story too, actually, you brought up a good point with the, with creating change and just brushing your teeth. When I was on the innovation team, what I did um, was I drove to work every single day a different way and listened to a different genre of music every day. And the reason why was because I wanted to break out of my routine before I got into a routine. So it already started to create change in the way that I behave before it even got to my job of innovating. Um, so think about the small little things that you can change and, and it will carry over and compound throughout the day. Hmm. Yeah, I love that. Love it. All right. Finally, who else should I get on the show, Matt, and why? Oh, man. Uh, you've had so many great guests, but if I would go with anyone to get on the show, I would go with Martin Lindstrom. And the reason why is because he is an awesome change agent that can help transform cultures and really get inside the minds of consumers. Um, very good talks. I would check him out and definitely get him on your podcast. Excellent. All right. Well, we'll, we'll reach out to Martin and see if we can have a conversation with him, bring him on the show as well. I'll try and make an intro. Excellent. Love that. All right. Well, thanks so much, Matt. I've really enjoyed our conversation today. I'm really looking forward, as I said, to getting my hands on the book and reading through that and learning more and all the best for the future. And let's keep in touch. Maybe we'll have the, the next conversation. And, and it sounds like there might be another book on the horizon as well. <laughs> Absolutely. Let's stay in touch. It's been great talking to you, Jeremy. Thank you so much. Thanks, Matt. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed that really engaging and informative conversation with Matt and took something away from his episode. So what's the action from today's conversation? Take a moment to slow down and become more aware of what you are doing and what is happening around you. Challenge your routines and explore little things that you can change just as a way to increase variety and choices in your business and in your life. Matt's episode can be found at innovabiz.co forward slash Matt Muller. That is M-A-T-T-M-U-E-L-L-E-R. 
all lowercase, or one word, innovabiz.co forward slash Matt Muller. You'll also find contact information there for getting in touch with Matt, as well as links to the Mindful Innovator website and to the book, as well as Matt's social media pages and the other resources we spoke about in our conversation today. If you've listened this far into the show and you love this conversation, and of course, what's not to love about this conversation, and you think it'd be useful to one other person, then be brave enough to send a link to that one other person for this conversation. You'll be doing them a favour. Also, make sure to get the episode bookmark token at innovabiz.co forward slash bookmarks. For the cost of just a cup of coffee or even less than that, you can have your very own permanent recording of this show. 50% of the revenue from this episode token will go directly to Matt as the guest of the episode and the other 50% goes towards supporting the show. Think of it as a way to support Matt and tell him that you loved his episode. Matt suggested that we have a conversation with Martin Lindstrom, the founder and chairman of Lindstrom Company, on a future InnovaBuzz podcast episode. So Martin, keep an eye on your inbox for an invitation from us to the InnovaBuzz podcast, courtesy of Matt Muller. Thanks for listening. We'd love you to leave a review on this episode. It will help us to make the podcast better for you. Simply go to lovethepodcast.com forward slash InnovaBuzz and pick your preferred platform. Now remember to, to go to innovabuzz.co forward slash flywheel to collect your unique digital token, which will give you membership of the Flywheel Nation community, where you'll have direct access to our amazing podcast guests, as well as to a short audio program that walks you through the entire InnovaBuzz podcasting process. Tune in again to the next episodes of the InnovaBuzz podcast, where we've got yet more fantastic guests lined up. Until next time, I'm Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz. Remember, be awesome and keep innovating.